the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, October 22nd. The professional tennis world delivering us fans another phenomenal day of late October tennis. Of course, we've got five events we're monitoring most closely here on the Mini Break this week for the WTA Tour. We've got the action going on in Ostrava, as I've mentioned throughout the week. It's primarily, if not entirely, all top 40, top 50 players and of course, the level of tennis reflecting that fact so far. Of course, we've also got four ATP events we're monitoring closely. We've got the 250s in Antwerp and Cologne. We've got a couple of challengers to discuss as well. Overall, a phenomenal day of Wednesday matches that I want to talk about. Of course, the reason I'm able to do that day in, day out here on the Mini Break Podcast, because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. You know our motto here at Crack Rackets. What do we want to do? We want to look good, and that's the easy part. We want to feel good. That gets a little bit harder as you get older, but most importantly, we want to play good. And we sincerely believe our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar can help you achieve those things. You turn to Midwest Sports, you're going to find anything you could need from an equipment standpoint, whether it be shoes, rackets, strings, grips. They've got it all. They've got all the best brands. And of course, you can save a little bit of money in your pocket by using our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Just go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15, of course, to try and get your nutrition in the right place. And it's so difficult. Right, You see that pack of Halloween candy, whether you're at a CVS, whether you're at a Kroger, wherever you are, there's all the sales, right? It's like 20% off and you're like, oh, I'm actually saving money by buying this candy? Let's do that. Let's do that now. Of course, then you have to go back to the store three days later because you're like, shoot, I ate all the Halloween candy. By the way, are we doing trick-or-treating this year? Probably shouldn't, right? It's not a great thing to do trick-or-treating. Even if you're leaving the bowl out on your porch, it's like, well... Who's putting their hands in that bowl? Are we sure I want to put my hands in that bowl? I know everyone's wearing masks and gloves and, you know, it's not even the the usual masks. It's the Halloween masks. Anyways, trick-or-treating, not something I will be doing, something I will certainly be doing, though, trusting our friends at Aerobar to get my nutrition in the right place. It's the only tennis-specific bar, energy bar in the business, more uh excuse me, delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors, more potassium than a banana. And of course, by supporting our friends at Aerobar, you support our podcast with them, our episodes getting to the point where we focus on the importance of nutrition and fitness in the modern game. Just go to aerobar.com, use that promo code CRACKED15, you'll get 15% off your order. And of course, you will let them know that we sent you there. All right, with that in mind, Let's talk about Wednesday's matches, and I do want to point out quickly there are a lot of other storylines going on right now in the professional tennis world. Two podcasts I would suggest for you, Cracked Racket listeners, if you want to get caught up on all of those storylines. Two great shot podcasts, and because I had two phenomenal guests, we had Ben Rothenberg of the New York Times of No Challenges Remaining come on to talk about the biggest storylines in tennis down this 2020 stretch. And then I had Brett McCormick of Sports Business Journal come on to talk about Andre uh, Gaudenzi, the ATP president's plan, uh, strategic plan moving forward to help improve the ATP to move the sport into the future. It's a 92-page document he got his hands on. We talk about it all. We get into the weeds. It's a very fun conversation. Of course, we talk about how the Professional Tennis Players Association, Vashik Pospisil, Novak Djokovic, 
Djokovic's PTPA, what role they play in that ATP's future. Uh, I think you guys will all enjoy both of those conversations, so be sure to go check those out on the Great Shot podcast feed. What I want to do on today's mini break podcast, focus specifically on the matches we saw on Wednesday, focuses on the events, uh, give them you know, the shine they deserve. Give them the the, uh, the proper attention that, again, that they have warranted thus far. And let's start with the action in Ostrova because, again, it's so rare in late October for it to not be a premier mandatory, not be, you know, a Beijing and a Shanghai and, you know, getting used to the environment, indoor hard courts in Ostrova. It's a little bit different than what we're usually used to. Nevertheless, the tennis has absolutely delivered Another day of phenomenal matches. Only one three-set match on the day, but a really, really high-level battle that saw our number one seed get knocked out of this event is the match I want to start with. And of course, I am talking about Maria Sakari's 6-3-6-3 straight-set victory over Alina Svitolina. Now, we saw Sakari in her first round. She was awfully impressive as well, right? She managed to knock out uh, Christina Pliskova 3-3 three and three in you know, what I love so much about Sakari in this match, just how rock solid she was from start to finish. There were no lapses in concentration. There were no lulls in her level. There were just, you know, she made every extra return. She put so much pressure on Alina Svitolina in this match. And early on, it was clear Sakari had a rhythm on the backhand. She was doing a really good job changing directions with that ball. The moment uh, Svitolina either gave her slice or gave her something a little bit shorter on that side, she would change direction. She would take the ball early, and depending where Svitolina was, either go heavy down the line or heavy cross court, follow that ball in. Of course, you're not going to find a player fitter than Maria Sakari in the WTA game, and you know she showed all of that off as well. Her foot speed, just phenomenal. I mean, listen to this in the match, folks. Only made 57% of her first serves, which you never love. But 24 of 29 on first serve points. That's an 83% conversion rating, and that matches what we saw during this match. She was when she was able to play plus one tennis. Simply put, Svitolina didn't have a chance. Sakari was that on today, and this is why I throw her in the conversation with the Conteves, the Mertens, the you know Sabalenka's, Bedchiches of the world of players, I think sneakily still have a lot of untapped potential, still have a lot of upside in their games moving forward on tour. And this performance from Sakari from start to finish was just phenomenal. I mean, you know, she holds Svitolina to 8 of 29 on second serve points, and Svitolina only made 52% of her first serve, so she played 31 points on her first serve, 29 points on her second serve, right? She was 29 of 60 on the match on serve. Sakari's winning over 50% of the points, and I don't want to, you know, rag on Svitolina because I actually thought she played really well. You could see there was an adjustment about three quarters of the way through that first set, maybe even halfway, where she said, you know what? I can't give Sakari any more ankle. I need to play deep down the center. I need to keep the ball in the middle. I want her to be the one to try and open up the court, and then I can try and get her stretched. The problem for Svitolina, Sakari was just beating her to the spot today. She was getting to that Svitolina cross-court forehand or cross-court backhand, taking the ball earlier down the line, misfooting Svitolina with a drop shot. Again, the entire arsenal was on display for Sakari, who with this win advances to the quarterfinals. And you talk about what Maria Sakari has done since the restart. Again, it hasn't been headline results, 
But overall, she has been rock solid. I mean, you know, Palermo, she lost the match to Pliskova. Fine, that's match number one. But since then, quarterfinals of Western and Southern where she beats Putin, Seva, Goff, and Serena. Those are all good wins. She makes round of 16 at the U.S. Open. She beats Para, Anisimova, and Vogel. Again, three players who are playing very, very well right now. Then she goes to the French, and yeah, she lost to Trevisan in three, which is shocking until you remember Trevisan ended up making the quarterfinals, right, of this event. Was it the semifinal she made? Again, so much tennis over these past couple of weeks. But, you know, again, with proper context, that's not a bad loss. And now she comes here. She beats Pliskova. She beats Svitolina. You look at where she is at in the rankings right now. And again, you take it all with a grain of salt. But Sakari now sitting at number 23 in the live rankings. That's three off her career high in the race to Shenzhen, a.k.a. how she has compared to her peers this year. You know, she's 18th right now. And it's a limited sample size. But that's correct. She's been a top 20 player. She's shown upside of someone perhaps even greater than that. And this was a, a great performance from her. You can see again via the eye test, she's fit as a fiddle right now. Can track down everything, can do a lot of different things uh, I, I, with the ball. And, you know, I, I think this is a particularly good matchup for her because Svitolina wasn't able to hurt her, wasn't able to overwhelm her with pace. Soccer was able to use her speed, had chances and clean looks on every ball. Uh, but this was a phenomenal for, for performance from Maria Sakari, who certainly, you know, it, again, it wasn't Svitolina playing bad. Sakari was just that good on this day. She advances to the quarterfinal. Of course, our only three-set match on the day, Vika Azarenka, the U.S. Open semi, uh, U.S. Open finalist, excuse me, that one I remember. These I was trying to say Western and Southern Open champion. Uh, she... Bounces back from a first set loss to knock out Krechikova, 2-6-6-2-6-1. Now, a couple of fun little dramatic moments in this match. At one point, there were a couple of calls Azarenka disagreed with. You know, she started saying, I know we're in the Czech Republic, but, uh, but come on. Of course, that a reference to Krechikova being from the Czech Republic. In the end, though, Azarenka, it was funny. There was another dramatic moment. I want to say it was like one all or one two in that second set. Azarenka gets the opportunity to hit an overhead off of a drop shot that Krechikova kind of lobs, or, you know, Azarenka drop shot. Krechikova barely gets there on the stretch, pops a that Azarenka has a clean overhead at. She thought Krechikova was going to run off of the court. Krechikova started to run, but then just sort of stood there, said, all right, there's the open court. Azarenka didn't see her, hits the overhead right at Krechikova. There's a look from Krechikova like, ooh, we trying to mess here? We trying to scrap? And certainly there was some tension for the next five, ten minutes. But in the end, Vika just too good. She found her range. Krechikova did a really good job of, you know, taking balls early, taking opportunities to change direction, playing big, going for her shots. But ultimately, Azarenka able to find the outer thirds and then maybe, you know, perhaps most importantly, find her rhythm on serve. She goes in the first set. She wins 44% of her first serve points. Second set, it's 58%. Third set, she's up to 80 5%. I think that tells the story of this match. Just took Vika a second to get her foot on the pedal. But again, credit to Krechikova, who certainly took some big rips, and you can tell why she is one of, if not the best doubles player in the world right now. Of course, in terms of your other results, upset on the day for Sarah Cerebez Tormo, who knocks out Annette Conteve, the number eight seed, 6164. You look for Cerebez Tormo now. I mean, she is another pl player who. Not the flashiest results since the restart, but still, 
A loss to Yastrzemska and Palermo. That's fine. She goes from there. Quarterfinals of, of Prague beats Striskova, beats Sigamund. Two good wins. Then she goes to the U.S. Open, beats Claire Lou, loses to Merton. Second round again. That's fine. Istanbul loses to Bedosa Gilbert. We all saw how good she was at the French Open. She then goes and wins in 80K. That's always a good way to go into your French Open before, unfortunately, she draws Simona Halep in the first round. But you look for the 24-year-old Cerebez Tormo with this win. She is currently, you talk about the live rankings, she is number 64 right now, which I believe is one off, oh, 66, excuse me, two off of her career high of 64. Although you look for her in the race this year, again, she's smack dab at number 50 right now, which I think is indicative of her level. I think she is absolutely one of those players you throw into that hat and you're like, who could make the round of 16? Who could make the quarterfinals of this event? Why not Sarah Cerebez Tormo? That's exactly what she does here. Really good win for her again over Annette Conteve. The other winners on the day, two real quickly, Yelena Ostapenko. Loses the first two games to Petra Martic. No big deal. I can just rip off 12 of the next 14. That's exactly what she does. 6-3, 6-1 victory when she found her range. There was just no way for Martic to hurt her. She had Martic on a string. She was changing directions. At one point, she's throwing in drop shots, and then you get that patented Ostapenko. I feel a little guilty, but at the same time, that was so worth it. Smile that it's just oh so captivating. Um, and yeah, she wins the match 3-1. and one. And then Elise Mertens, really quality win for her, 2-3. Three over Anisimova. Again, Elise Mertens, throw her in the Sakari category. You're telling me Elise Mertens and Maria Sakari won't both spend some time in the WTA top 10? I think they're both going to get there someday. Uh, I think they are both really, really phenomenal players who have shown the consistency now week in, week out. And, you know, I think these those are two players who would have been breakthrough performers, maybe even potential. Uh, maybe not that for Sakari, but for Mertens. She probably would have been in the hunt for the year-end finals had there been one. Uh, you look at where is Elise Mertens in the rank, uh, in the race right now. Yeah, she's number eight. Uh, and she really has been a top ten player this year in terms of her consistency, what she's done. Another great win for her. Continues to inch closer and closer to that top ten. Of course, that sets up a really fun day of Thursday matches. I mean, headliners across the board. Jabor Ostapenko. Hello. Goth Sabalenka. Nice Lexington rematch. Mukova versus Mertens. Kudermatova versus Pliskova. Kasatkina versus Brady. Yeah. That's what it's all about, folks. Like I said, it's a loaded draw, and thus far, the matches have delivered. So, looking forward to talking about that more tomorrow. Let's flip gears now to the ATP Tour. Let's start at the 250 level, where, again, we've got two events, in one in Antwerp, the other in Cologne. We'll start in Antwerp. Fairly routine day, to be honest. I mean, when I say that, the biggest upset on the day was number two seeded Pablo Carreno Busta, U.S. Open semifinalist, who lost to Frenchman Hugo Umbert, 5-7-6-3-6-4. But if you listened to this podcast yesterday, you know that was a match I had on upset alert. I don't know what it is about Hugo. He's like somewhere between 6-2-6-3-6-4, and I've joked about this on social media. He's part of the Bad Posture Club, and I like to think I'm one of those charter members of the Bad Posture Club as well, someone who, in that height range, you can't really tell exactly how tall they are because their shoulders are always slumping. My response would be, you try being this tall. It's not exactly the easiest, and you know, anyways, 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 stay on topic here, Alex, home stretch, uh, we're talking Antwerp, uh, anyways, Ugo Umber, 
he can just do a lot of things well on the court. I mean, sneaky good mover. I know he's long and lengthy, or at least lengthy. I don't know how tall he is. Again, it remains unclear, but, you know, good power when he's on the run, can go from defense to offense, can step up and take a forehand aggressively, will go down the line Will with both the backhand and forehand wing, will come to the net when the moment calls for it, has a backhand slice he can use to change off speed. And, you know, again, the backhand's a little bit flat, but he does do a good job of driving through it. He served for the first set in this match against Carreno Busta, which feels worth noting considering he ended up winning the match 5-7-6-3-6-4. I mean... You look at the stats, Carreno Busta threw a lot at him, uh, 63% for Carreno Busta on first serves, he won 67% of those points, 56% of his second serve points, Umber only had five break chances in the match and was able to convert the three he needed, more importantly, he saved 10 of the 12 break point chances he faced, was so effective with the plus one ball, I mean, his lefty slice out wide on that ad side with the plus one lefty forehand, it's a special combo, it's going to win him a lot of easy points during his career. It did today as well. 44 of 58, a 76% win percentage. He won 52% of his second serve points as well and just seemed to be able to always find the extra gear on the biggest points. Seemed to be able to always make the extra ball to track that one down. You could tell Carreno Busta was getting frustrated because he didn't have an easy weapon to hurt Umber with. And Umber also had the discipline, the willingness to make the match physical, to make 15, 20 balls if he had to to stay alive in the point until he got a look at a short ball. And it was a really impressive performance from the Frenchman, who again advances now here uh, to the next round. And you look for Umber, where he is at right now in the live rankings with this win. Ugo Umber, I believe, up to a new career high of number 38. So he is inside the top 40 now as he reaches the quarterfinals. You talk about where he would be in the race to the year-end finals. Ugo Umber this year, again, a top 40 player, number 38. 38 in the race as well. He won a title earlier this year, made a semifinals after that, I believe, in Delray Beach as well. And now here he makes another quarterfinal. I mean, so we had a first round loss at the French Open, and that stands out because it was a match he very much could have won ultimately, uh, I believe, against Mark Pullman's. But Everywhere else, you know, last week it was a round of 16, three-set loss to Andre Rublev, where he looked awfully good. Before the French Open, three-set loss to Kasper Ruud in the quarterfinals. We all know how good Kasper Ruud was on the clay in Hamburg. That was a good match from Umber, who beat Daniil Medvedev there. Of course, the week before, he beat Anderson, he beat Fonini to make the round of 16 at the Italian Open and the U.S. Open, uh, you know, beat Sagita before losing to Berrettini. But of course, he's got that fourth round at Wimbledon in his past as well. Ugo Umber's just good, folks. And you talk about what he's done over the past 12 months. He goes from making that fourth round at Wimbledon to ultimately winning two challengers down the stretch of 2019, both on hard courts, one of them indoors. Of course, then he starts this year with his first ATP title. He's inside the top 40. I don't know what the upside is exactly, 
But again, the reason I wasn't shocked by this result is this is a trend from Ugo Umber. He really has looked better and better over these past 12 months. He's a guy to expect his near, to, you should expect to hear his name quite a bit uh, over these next 10 years. I think he's going to be a staple as long as he's healthy inside the top 50. Certainly, I believe he's got the skills to be top 30, maybe even better than that. So just very, very fun to go into be continued to monitor what he does. Uh, but of course, that was the big upset on the day. Alex Dimonauer, Grigor Dimitrov, the other seeds in action in the round of 16. Uh, they both get victories. Dimonauer straight sets over Lopez, 6-4, 6-2, just... I mean, the speed was on full display. And then for Grigor, I actually thought it was a pretty solid match from him against Andahar. Andahar made so many extra balls. Just kind of snuck out one break there in that first set. But credit to Grigor, who gets that break immediately to start out the second set and then just kind of hold serve the rest of the way. And, you know, was really in control in the third, was using his variety, looked good on the run, looked healthy. And, I mean, indoor hardcourt. This is a guy who's a year-end finals champion. We saw him win in London. If you can win in London, you can win in Andahar. So that's a great victory for him. Uh, the other round of 16, Dan Evans, 7-6-6-2 over Tiafa. I really thought Tiafa was going to take this match. I just think he had to play catch-up for so long in that first set. He goes down in early break, manages to get it back, and then they're on serve the rest of the way. But just a lot of energy expended for Francis in that first set. Evans did a good job of really wearing him down. You know, again, Francis didn't go away in the second set, but just the variety for Evans giving Tiafa fits too often. Often Tiafa would get lulled into the Evans slice game. Evans able to jump around that ball, then hit a forehand. Uh, but, you know, good win for Dan Evans, who's been great this year. Not a bad loss by any stretch of the imagination for Francis Tiafo, uh, who, again, has looked really good here in the uh, in the restart. Of course, the other seeds who played round of 32 matches today, Taylor Fritz beats his best man of his wedding, Riley Opelka, 7-6-6-1, in a match that respectfully... Not as entertaining as I hoped it to be, but honestly, it looked a lot like I expected it to. And then Milos Raonic doing Milos Raonic things, hitting this one ridiculous inside-out approach shot winner where he was like, you know what, I'm not hitting a backhand on this point no matter what. Ends up hitting a forehand. Somehow it goes in just a ridiculous angle. 6-3-7-6 victory for him over Badene in terms of the action tomorrow in Antwerp. Bunch of fun matches that I know all of us will be excited for. You've got Cam Nori versus Milos Raonic, Fritz versus Lloyd Harris, Bergs versus Hatchinov, and Gofen versus Giron. It's a fun day of action. Of course, we will talk about it tomorrow. We will also be discussing the action in Cologne, where it was another fun day. You saw two uh, last week's two finalists both pushed two, three sets, two very different matches, though. I'll go quickly on Zvira because God knows we talked about him enough here at Cracked Rackets. 6-0-3-6-6-3. Milman played significantly better in that second set. Should Zverev have put his foot on the gas? Should he and could he have won that second set? Absolutely. But got an early break in the third, was able to hold throughout the rest of the way. Indoor tennis, Alex Zverev, absolute monster. So good victory for him. I'm fine with it. For FAA, 4-6-7-6-7-6. It sounds concerning considering it was against the qualifier Jerasimov, but Jerasimov played big brand tennis. He played indoor tennis, went for his shots early, would redirect down the line, tried to crack the big serve, knew he had to go for his winners because FAA was just the better athlete. It was the more dynamic player, but you know, Jerasimov took 
Jirasimov played outstanding tennis. It's a credit for him the way he fought in this match. Served for the match, I believe, 5-4 in the second set. Uh, FAA able to scrap out the breaker, get it there, you know, play aggressive tennis, play plus one, change direction with his own backhand, comfortable moving forward. I mean, the ball just pops off of his racket. Uh, but this was a grind by every definition of it. And for FAA to make the final last week, could have been down, could have just been like, you know what, not my day today. I guess Jarosimov's just going to take it. But no, he kept scrapping. I mean, he made 61% of his first serves. He won 75% of those points, saved six of 10 break chances, uh, obviously converted three of the five he had. Eh, a win's a win. You take it if you're FAA and you move on to the next round. But, you know, that those were not the only two matches in play. The other on the day, Jan Leonard Struff, 3-1 and one over Cecinato. Cecinato, great on clay, still not so great everywhere else. Adrian Manorino, 3-3 three and three over Kasmanovic. Kasmanovic just, he didn't have it today. That's really all there is to say about that match. But a guy who just seemed to have it really since the start of August, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. Another quarterfinal for him in Cologne. This time he advances with a 7-6-6-3 win over Stevie Johnson. Relentless is the word that comes to mind for Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. Spastic even as well. Just so frantic with his energy. It's just always moving, always doing something different, so energetic. I, I love it. I, again, another guy who I think is just certain to, there's the Rublev quality about him where you're just like, yeah, this guy is going to maximize his game. This guy goes all in on every swing, every movement he makes on the court. Yeah, he plays around a little bit. He's not afraid to hit the drop shot. He's got that flair to him maybe where Rublev a little bit more rigid, but it's an outstanding tennis game. I mean, you look for the 21-year-old now. He is obviously at a new career high in the rankings, up to number 61. And truth be told, with the level he's displayed since August, he deserves that spot for sure. So credit to you, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. You have been outstanding so far. And speaking of outstanding, let's preview tomorrow's matches. Bunch of fun ones. Uh, four round of 16 affairs. You've got Struth Nishioka. That'll be good. Ota versus Schwartzman. Shapovala versus Simone. And then the Sin Man versus Pierre Uzer-Bear, of course, if you want to hear my thoughts uh, on those matches. Check out our GSP Ace of the Day. I will tell you now, both Sinner and Shapovala in a parlay. I have an action. And I seriously considered and made the case for Nishioka. Chioka to upset Struff, you can be the judge of my opinion by listening to that GSP Ace of the Day podcast. Uh, of course, uh, I do want to quickly talk about the challengers because you all know I spend far too much time on livestream.com slash ATP. Not too many results to talk about yesterday. Only four from the action in, in Turkey. Shout out to our guy, Borna Gojo. Three set win for him over Jake Clark now. Clark was in control of this match, won the first set, was up in the second. Uh, could we focus on, you know, the Clark element of him fumbling a little bit down the stretch? Sure. I prefer to talk about young Borna Gojo, the former Wake Forest Demon Deacon, really skyrocketing his way up the rankings, up to a new career high of number 232. And yeah, he played a couple of years of college tennis, but he's still only 22 years old in that top 250 range. And we've seen a bunch of guys over these past couple of years, uh, you know, the Rindernecks of the world, the uh, obviously Borna Gojo, you can throw on that list, Mackie McDonald, another guy, Ty Kwiatkowski, Brandon Nakashima, Braden Schnurr, Mikhail Torpegard. I mean, 
all of the Alex Vukic, all of these guys going from the college tennis world and having success on the Pro Tour. I didn't mention J.J. Wolf. That's another obvious one. Sorry, J.J. Hey, great shot by me. The, the pathway, and there are countless women as well. I'm just focusing on the men right now. The pathway from college to the pros, it works, folks. If you need development, if you need a couple of extra years, you're not ready at 18 or 19 years old to play pro tennis. College tennis has a place for you uh, and a purpose for you. And, you know, we have seen so many. And I know another guy I haven't mentioned, um, the spirit of Petros, uh, of Bornicojo. I saw a photo today of Petros Frisokos just dressed in this beautiful, cheetah leopard clothing outfit i don't know what it was but it's only petros could pull it off on his instagram it was too good and you keep in mind petros Frisokos right now number 430 in the world but i feel like petros has a future inside the top 200 i really do think petros Frisokos will spend some time in the top 100 uh, because the guy's just a winner i mean i've seen him pull out matches in too many scenarios where he just looks across the net and he says i'm not losing today and of course it's a little easier for you to do that when you've been the best player in college for your whole time there, uh, but of course, I just think that's going to translate to the pros. It's a bet I'm willing to be wrong on. Anyways, I don't know how we got on the Petros train. Uh, oh yeah, because Borna Gojo, a three-set winner today, as were Sebastian Ofner, and then Bonzi, and former University of Michigan graduate. I can't believe I didn't mention this guy, Jason Jung. 0-3 victory for him as well. Uh, tomorrow in Istanbul, got a bunch of fun matches. Popko, Munar, Evashka, Ikel, Serdarusic versus Maki, Klizan versus Markora. You know I'll be locked into that. Of course, we've got the carpet event going on in Germany right now. No funky results today, I would say. I would say things went pretty scratch. You had Hoosler over Dustin Brown, 7-6-4-6-7-6. That was always going to be at least one tiebreak affair. Hanifman beating Maiden in the Battle of the College. Yannick, Sebastian Korda, three-set win. A Martyr, straight sets over Laxanen. Huang, Gunaswaran, both getting wins. Van Desanschlup, also a win. I suppose one chaotic match. Another college guy, Braden Schnur. A three-set win for him on the carpet over number one-seated Del Bonus, and I have to say, when I think of Federico Del Bonus and surfaces he would succeed on, Carpet is probably last on that list still for Schnur. Get that win, right? Braden Schnur was inside the top 100 not too long ago, uh, now at number 200 for the five, uh, uh, for the 25-year-old. But injuries have been a factor in that. A lot of different things have been a factor in that, and there have been so many close losses. This is a guy, it was not a fluke. Yes, the New York Open draw he received was about as uh, kind of a 250 draw as you can ask for. That doesn't mean it wasn't easy. It was easy for him to get through that draw. That doesn't mean he didn't do enough in the other weeks of the year to reach that top 100 ranking. And I really do think he can get back to it. The guy just, the serve, the forehand, the decisiveness he plays with, his willingness to move forward. Again, another guy who I just know is a winner. Uh, and I think there will be wins in his future. Obviously, there was yesterday over Del Bonus, and now he gets another fun one uh, later on this week, uh, or later on tomorrow, excuse me, against Hussler. That's a big servant match. You've also got Masur versus Rosenkranz, Kamko versus Yana Konofman. Oh, by the way, Yana Konofman, another former college guy, and another former college guy, Julian Lenz, the former Baylor All-American, taking on Sebastian Corda, American, but not a college guy. 
Uh, so interesting to see that matchup, I suppose. It will just be a fun day of tennis from start to finish. And of course, if you have missed any of the action from this week, you need to get caught up on all things going on in the tennis world. Be sure to check out our website, CrackedRackets.com, where you can find this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Inside Out, and Cracked Interviews Podcast. Of course, you need those more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to follow me directly, I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Daniel Westoff for the of an job they do day in, day out. Shout out to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. And of course, shout out to all of you listeners and our Patreon subscribers, without whom none of this would be possible. And, you know, without whom we wouldn't have a reason to do this for. So a huge thank you to all of you, as always. If you'd like to join our Patreon family or get yourself some Cracked Rackets merch, again, be sure to check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. But with that in mind, for my wonderful super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.